They couldn't explain this. And these scribes with man's mentality couldn't comprehend and neither could they match the very infinite mind of Almighty God. Here they were saying, this man, hey, he has something that we just cannot comprehend. This man is speaking words that we have never heard before. This man is speaking and what he's saying is coming to pass. And what he says he means and what he means he says. And he can perform his word. He says, but we cannot do that. And they're starting to be struck out of themselves. In other words, they don't even know their own mind. They become almost uh, uh, mindless in it. They become almost mindless where they're confused by what they're hearing. And how many people hearing the word of God become confused because, not because it's so hard to hear, but because they cannot understand without the Holy Ghost. They cannot understand without the Spirit. And many Christians become so confused as well because they cannot understand that there is power and there is authority in the word of God. To them it's just fanciful fairy tales. Yes, even the Christians. Yes, it's just a little Bible reading we do in the morning or when we go to bed. Yes, it's just a, a, a book every week that we take the church under our arm and we'll hear what the preacher has to say and that's all we know of it and that's all we'll read of it. And there's a nice little story about Jesus casting out an unclean spirit in the synagogue but really behind it all we look to the mind of God and he shows us the Christ of God speaking authority into the world. A world of darkness and a world of sin. They say, this man, there's something about him. They were astonished to strike out of self-possession. That's the way these people were. The strength of these words must be explained that you and I can get the grips of what was happening. Verse 27 says, they were all amazed. You know, I know what it means to be amazed. But here the word amazed is the word thambeo. And the word thambeo means to have an amazement mingled with fright and fear. And amazement mingled with fright and fear. You see, this man comes up and, uh, and whatever way he is, we read of some people who are demon-possessed foaming at the mouth. Maybe eyes that have been dilated and black. Maybe he's, he's, he's angry and he's violent. We don't know. Maybe he's on the ground writhing about and, and they're trying to hold him down. We're not told that, but many other occasions, uh, whether it's a young man being thrown into the fire or whatever way it is. But this demon spirit, this unclean spirit, it was agitating and aggravating and it was disturbing this young man. And these scribes didn't know what to do with it. Didn't know what to do with it. And Christ comes into the midst and walks right into the middle and he just speaks the word of authority. And they're not only astonished, but now they're all amazed. And so much they started to question. And in fact, when the spirit leaves them, the unclean spirit leaves this, this man, they're so, they're so astonished at it and so amazed, they start to become afraid. They start to have a sense of terror about them. Do you know what's wrong even in the church today? We've started to lose the reverence and the awe of what God is, whom God is and what he can do. We've started to lose the reverence and the awe of Almighty God's power and the authority of his word. We've started to lose it because, you know, it's, well, you know, it's something that we, we, we believe in, but we're not sure about, so we'll leave it on the back burner and we'll carry on with our little Christian lifestyle. But God wants you and I to go out there and to amaze people that they'll stand even with fright or terror at the power of the Lord. Here, 
he has authority. You might say, but, but we don't have that authority. But we do have this authority. Listen to John's Gospel, chapter 1. Flick over just for a moment. John's Gospel, chapter 1. Just one verse to show you exactly what has been put in you when you came to Christ. The saving faith in him and his spirit and word now abides in you. The same authoritative word. John's Gospel, chapter 1. Let your eye run down to verse 12. But as many as received him. I have to ask you this evening, have you received Christ? Then as many as received him, to them give he the power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name. Do you believe on his name? Have you received Christ? Are you saved? Are you born again of the Spirit? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? If you are, then you have his indwelling Spirit. You have the power to become the sons of God. And the word for power is the, is the word exousia. And it's the word that is used in Mark's gospel for authority. Christ came with the exousia of God and he spoke the power word right in the authority that I was able to cast out an unclean spirit that's able to heal diseases, that was able to speak to multitudes and they would say, what must I do to be saved? And oh, how the church, including myself, how we have lost sight of that and no one more want to pursue after that because we just don't want to rock the boat because, you know, it's not the dumb thing anymore. Christ was radical everywhere he went. He shook up towns. He shook up villages. And yet he healed on the left and he healed on the right. And every word he spoke was a word that would not return unto him void. Every one of them, every little word he spoke was a word in due season to every heart that he came across. Oh, church, we are the body of Christ. Church, you and I are the living organism of the body of Christ on this earth. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his eyes. We are his mouth. We are his vehicle for in you he lives. The Holy Ghost dwells in every redeemed heart of God. Oh, how far short are we falling of our own divine calling and the authority of God's word? Yes, with authority he commandeth even the unclean spirits. And it's the word exousia, the word for power used in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. There's a, a, an old saying, and I, I'd written it down because I thought it, was, I thought it was quaint, but I thought it was very apt. There's an old saying I once read, and it says, If a man can make a better mouse trap than his neighbors, the public will beat a path to his house, even if he lives in the middle of a wood. If a man can make a better mouse trap than his neighbors, the public will beat a path to his house, even if he lives in the middle of a wood. In other words, if you have what others don't, others should be beating down our doors. What is it about us that we don't have anymore to show to the outside world where people come and cry that we must be the only one who know Christ as if you're the only person on the earth who has the power of God with them? You, Christian, and me, you and I, we should be walking about the streets where people would beat down a path to get to you because they know you have Christ with you instead of beating down a path to run from us. Here, they were, as it were, would beat down a path on a wood to get to Christ, wherever he was. Man's motive may be different why he comes, 
And we want to look at a few different motives. And you can slot yourself in if you're here in any of these. And you can slot yourself in and look at her. Let's examine all of our own lives. And maybe if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, maybe you will see why you have come to Christ. Some come to Jesus because he's, the, he's their last ditch attempt at something. The people here came, the people followed him, the people sought him out of their great need and their desperation. And there's nothing wrong with that. But sadly and tragically, they came, they found their need was met, but they never followed on with him. I want to say it again. They came, they found their need was met, but they never followed on with him. If I had a pound coin for every person that I had visited over the last number of years who in desperation wanted Christ to do something for them, something to them, something with them, or maybe in their family, and they'd pay a vow or vow a vow or do whatever they wanted to do. If I had a pound coin for everyone who had an answered prayer and then decided to go on in their own life away from Christ, I would be able to buy myself a new car probably now. They never followed on with him. And the problem is, the loving heart of God still is open wide for them. Someone once said in regard to religion. Someone once said in regard to religion, but I'll put Christ in there. That Christ only belongs to the ambulance corps and not to the firing line of life. That Christ only belongs to the ambulance corps and not to the firing line of life. That Christ only belongs to many lives because they have come to a crisis experience or because they have come to an emergency place or because it's a last-ditch attempt. You know, if you, if you phone an ambulance, you're not phoning it to bring you something from the shop. Sure, you're, not, you're not saying, look, you can't get me an ice cream on the way past. You're calling here, there's an emergency. Someone has taken a heart attack or someone is going to die or someone's been knocked down. We really need you in an emergency. Someone's going into a diabetic coma or X, Y, Z. We need you, it's an emergency. And they fly to your aid. And to many people out there, Christ is just in the ambulance core of this society and world. And even to many Christians, that's where he is, the ambulance core. Only in a crisis affair do many want to seek his face for their motive. Their motive is different rather than the Spirit's motive to draw them closer to Christ. Praise God for his grace and favor, for his loving kindness and for his goodness and for his compassion. We praise him for his great love and mercy. And even though many seek Jesus with an ulterior motive, his big heart meets the need and he accepts all who will come unto him. Many came and all were blessed. Many came, all were blessed. Oh, how people want salvation but not the Savior. The kingdom but not the King. They want the healing but not the healer. The gifts but not the giver. They want eternal life but not the liver. 
They want it all, but they don't want the responsibility of owning Christ and knowing him. I remember I wasn't long pastoring here, and there's a certain woman who was having a terrible time. She came, and we sat just down here at the back. And we talked, and I want, to get, I want Jesus in my life. Can he change my life? Of course he can. And she prayed, and she wept, and... As soon as her circumstance changed, she disappeared. Remember, I went and I wrapped the door. Oh, it's good to see you. Come in. And I went and I went in and sitting down, and there were the idols of Buddha and all these little Buddha dolls and different religious artifacts. So only why her life was in disarray. I said, you know, you need to get rid of all of these and turn your life to Christ. Turn your life to Christ. Sadly, she didn't, for a man drew her heart. And it wasn't the man Christ Jesus. And he drew her heart away after the things of the world. And I've, I've seen her. She puts her head down and won't even look my way now. Motives for coming and seeking Christ, yet Christ knows every motive, but willing to bless everyone. In John chapter 6, the Lord Jesus has been asked about the bread that uh, was given to Israel in the wilderness. And he says, I am the bread of life. And he starts to tell, we're not going to the whole chapter tonight. But in verse 60, after him saying that you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, representing, speaking of that he would die at Calvary. Not literally now, but speaking representatively of it. It says in verse 60, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is in hard saying. Who can hear it? Now notice this. Many of his disciples, they were meant to be disciplined men and disciplined women. Women, that is what a disciple is. Someone who is disciplined. And many, not one, not two, not a few, but many of his disciples said, this is too hard a saying. You know why? Because they were disciples or they were following him to a certain level, to a certain degree. And then when things got too much for them, they decided to run away from him. When Christ lays claim on a man and when Christ lays claim on a woman, he's either Lord over all or he is not Lord at all. And we're told that these people, although they are classed as disciples, they were disciplined in following Christ literally and physically, but they were not true disciples because the Lord tells us, we'll look at it in a moment. Notice this. It says in verse 66, And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They went a little further than some but turned away and walked with him no more. You see, when fresh revelation was shown to them, they couldn't handle it. Speaking to someone and the Lord has been leading you and dealing with you and things that you're saying, but, but my church didn't teach that. And fresh revelation stirs you to the point you're ready to run away. And he said, uh, we're, not, we're not sure about this, but you're going to run away. 
You see, when God brings revelation, truth is revealed to be obeyed, brothers and sisters. And men and women have moved away, especially in Pentecostal circles, we have moved away from the truth to be more acceptable with other churches. We have moved away from the truth to be acceptable with the world. And we have become complacent in the things that God has given us. We have thrown away a great heritage in the Holy Ghost. Here, brothers and sisters, we must remember this. That every time Christ gives you a revelation of himself, and it is even hard to swallow, truth is revealed to be obeyed. Truth is revealed to be obeyed. When deeper truth was made known unto them, they couldn't swallow it. I have a, I have a, a, a pastor friend in Oklahoma, and he talks about, I'll not give you the whole bill of hay, in case you choke on it, the whole bill of hay. In other words, I'll give you a bit at a time. And the Lord came and he gave them a bill of hay. He says, here, if you don't eat my flesh and you don't drink my blood, he says, if you, you need to do this for me to abide in you and you and me, to be together and join communion. And they said, well, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? You know why? Because they were following according to the religious saying. They were following according to the flesh. Challenge was given to them. They would not lift up the gauntlet. The responsibility was laid on them and they shirked it and threw it away. And the things of the Spirit was spoken unto them, but they could not accept it because they were spiritually discerned. There's no other reason for it. They just couldn't grasp it. You know, we can believe things that are beyond our own intelligence. Or else how do we understand even Almighty God himself? Because he's past finding out. I notice this. The religious carnal flesh cries out. This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Do you know the flesh of the world out there tonight can't understand why the flesh of the Christian is sitting here tonight? Do you know the flesh of the world doesn't understand why you'd come here during the week or, or why you'd get up and you'd serve children and young people in Sunday schools? That the flesh of the world can't comprehend why you'd stand here and sing praises unto God and worship the name of Jesus. Do you know the flesh? It can't comprehend it. The only reason your flesh can comprehend it because your flesh has been redeemed and bought with a price and the Holy Ghost lives in you. The difference between my flesh and the flesh of those who are maybe standing in a pub or a club at this moment in time, absolutely nothing but mine is redeemed waiting for the change. And so is yours. Notice this. The astonishment of the word to these disciples. The ecclesial we talked about earlier. Remember the astonishment to strike out of one's self-possession. The astonishment of the word from Mark chapter 1 will either impregnate the heart which has been touched and quickened by the Holy Ghost, which brings us to faith in Christ and eternal life in Him, or it will infuriate the flesh as it shows up with its illuminating light the reality of man's depravity, the death 
of humanist realm, the fragility and the frailty of man's meager existence, his complete and his total inability to save himself. And so whenever you speak the word of God with authority, when you speak the word of God in truth, when you speak the word of God in power, when you're speaking, the flesh will cry against it because it cannot comprehend it. Men and women who are fleshy, and I'll put it in brackets, Christians who are carnal, they cannot comprehend why you would be in love with Christ. But I'm a Christian, but I'm religious. The hell with religion. Christ is not religion. Christ is Almighty God, made known unto man. Jesus in John 6 and 63 says, It is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Notice what Jesus says. He says, look, I'm not talking literally of my flesh and my body, being my body and the blood being my blood. It's spiritual. He says, can you not see the spiritual content and the spiritual context of what I'm saying? Verse 65 of John 6. Listen to what he says to his disciples. No man can come unto me except that were given unto him of my father. Do you know what he was saying? Now here we separate the wheat from the chaff. Here we separate the sheep from the goats. Here we separate with the word of God those who are really mine and those who are not. Those who love me and those who don't. Those who want to serve me and those who won't. He's saying, I'm going to show you exactly who they are and they'll stand up. The word of God, people say, oh, the sheep will rise and praise the Lord. No, and the word of God hits the goats they rise and they start to shout against the word of God. And Christ says this, there's no spirit in them to be able to receive this word. And he says to his disciples that are left, he says, no man can come unto me except that were given unto him of my father. In other words, these so-called disciples, these disciplined ones in the flesh, yes, they were there. Yes, they followed for a period of time. But now when the rubber hits the road, they're not there at all. He says, you're mine. My Father gives you to me. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 37, it says, And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. So we have to look, do they speak, seek in the spirit, or do they seek through the flesh? Seek through the spirit, or do they seek through the flesh? Now, some seek him only in distress and in trial and in need. And I think we could say here, all of us do that. And that's perfectly acceptable. After all, Christ invites us in Matthew 11 and 28. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But the motive of coming that's acceptable is a heart that truly, really knows that only Christ can satisfy and only Christ can change. Listen to old William Barclay, what he said about people coming to Christ. 
For one prayer that goeth up from God in the days of prosperity, 10,000 go up in the time of adversity. Isn't it true? When we're on the mountaintop, we're not in the valley anymore. When we get the good report from the doctor, we say, thank you, Lord, and we get on with it. And somewhere down the line, we praise for a day or so. And then suddenly, uh, well, we're doing all right now. Let's go on. And the rope's let out and the lead gets further away from the Lord. And we carry on with our own things. And one prayer goes up in the time of prosperity, but in adversity, we're on our knees. We eat, as it were. We used to say the altar real, for one, for a better word. We're, we're really seeking his face. We're, we're following after him. We're pressing into him because there's some family member or someone, something to do with ourselves. We know that only Christ can change this situation. William Barclay goes on to say this. God is someone to be loved and remembered every day of our lives. Every single day. So the disciples came with Simon Peter and it says, all men seek for thee. In Mark chapter 3, verse 32, the Lord is in the house again. He's teaching. And the crowds are everywhere. And as, as we're told in verse 30, behold thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. They come into the house and say, Master, listen, your mother and your brother are outside and they're seeking you, they're looking for you. They came, we're told, thinking Jesus was out of his mind. They came to take him home with them out of the way. But ultimately, if this had happened, then the will of their flesh and their own carnal minds would have been allowed to hinder the work of the Lord. I want you to grasp this before we go any further. If he had have answered them and went out, then he had have left the work that his father had given him. It was all ordained of his father to be there. And if he had have left that to go after his own, even the love for his mother, would have hindered the work of his father. It would have hindered the work of his father. Listen to what verse 35 says. He says, For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. Not that he did not love his mother, he did. But he's looking further into eternal realm. And he's saying, we're looking at the things of the Spirit here. We're looking at eternal matters and the weightier matters of of the Father's will. I wonder, did his mother forget his birth? Did she forget the angelic visitation? What about the shepherds and their heavenly hosts that they would tell them about when they came to visit the child? Or later, when the Magi would come and bear gifts for him, and they bow down and worship him in their presence? Or maybe she thought it would have been done a different way. After all, Simeon in the temple had, had prophesied a great prophetic word over him. What about all these words that were spoken over this baby and then this infant and then this child? What about every single one of these things of the word of God? Mary, did you forget them? Because we're told in God's word, and Mary pondered these things in her heart and she hid them there. 
But now she comes down and, and she sees that he's in the house and she says, get him out, he's gone mad, we we'll want to get him home. Brother, do you forget the word of God? Do you forget what the word says about you and to you? Do you forget the promises of God, sister? When you're in that time and you're wondering your fleshy carnal mind, which we all have, the old man and the old woman who like to over, overtake the spirit man and the spirit woman, the born again spirit. Do, do you forget God's word and, and suddenly your fears and your worries and your temptations and your trials become like mountains and giants and Goliath is before you. You find yourself in great storms that you think your boat's going to sink. What about the word of God for you? What about the promises of God spoken to you? Maybe prophesied over you. What about the word? Mary forgot the word. She forgot the word of God. Maybe she thought it should have been done a little different. Remember Simeon said, a spear shall also, or a sword shall pierce your own side. I mean, she would see her son hanging on a cross. How, how horrible is that for any mother? Maybe she thought, I'll get him home in case he's arrested, or I'll get him out of the way in case the soldiers come and take him too early. We don't know what she's thinking, but I'm wondering here what Mary thought of when she was coming. But whatever it was, it wasn't off the spirit. Because Christ would have went if it was. Nevertheless, brothers and sisters, let's always be careful that even though Christ supplies our need, the bread, the fish, the water, the wine at the marriage feet of, of Canaan and Galilee, even as, as he did in the wilderness for Israel in Psalm 106 and verse 15, he gave, to them their, he gave them their request but sent leanness into their soul. You see, there's times when we are so carnal, God will give us what we want. But sometimes it gives a leanness in our soul. Christ would not have the work of his father hindered for the flesh. Brother, sister, how easy is it for us to allow the flesh to hinder the work of God? How easy is it for us to allow the flesh and the fleshy mind to hinder the work of God? even the work of God to go out and get up and do for Christ. Hi, for even out there to be going and praying for others, and preaching the word of God and teaching the word of God and our fleshy minds and hearts would have us set even to worship, in the work, to worship the Lord. Our flesh says don't do. Our flesh says you shouldn't do. Our flesh says it's not about this. It's about, it has to be some sort of supernatural big flashing light and voice from heaven to tell you that you can worship. Friend, this book is all that we need. And this book says that you can worship the Lord your God in the beauty of holiness. Here, he would not give in even to the flesh, even for the love of his family. You see, Christ must have the preeminence. The Father's will must be first. Nor a few minutes and I'll close. Thank you for your attention. It's tremendous. Even though he satisfies our need, our every need, He will never work outside his Father's will. 
nor will he satisfy our carnal desires at the expense of the word of God. Attitudes, brothers and sisters. Our attitudes to outward things, to the world, our attitude to things that face us and come against us, our attitudes and our fleshly carnal, carnal desires, if we yield ourselves to them, may hinder the work of the Lord through you. In John 18, the soldiers come to arrest the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in verse 4 it says, Jesus therefore, knowing all things, should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? Verse 5 says, They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said unto them, I am, or I am he. They came seeking him. They were surrendered to the flesh. They were surrendered to the ulterior motive, not only of people like the scribes and the Pharisees, but also of the chief priests. And of course, eventually Pilate. These were temple soldiers who came to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're told, he says, whom seek ye? We seek Jesus. They didn't seek him for salvation. They didn't seek him for healing. They didn't seek him because they loved him. They sought him to destroy him. Now you beware, church. People will want to destroy Christ in you. There's all manner of things and people out there who will want to destroy the Christ who lives in you. Your love for Christ. They'll want to destroy him in you. And you may get some coming looking to see where Christ is in you in order that they may, as it were, crucify the Christ in you. Proverbs 28 and verse 5 says, Evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. These evil men did not understand that they were in the plan and the purpose of God even coming to Gethsemane. Our God is sovereign over all things. And you see, when the enemy means it's for evil, God means it for the good. That in all things, God will work together for the good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Here these men were coming with evil on their mind. They didn't understand what they were doing, but those who would seek the Lord would understand that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Yes, the crowd sought for food, for healing. The family, his family sought for personal reasons. The soldiers sought for his demise and his death. But here's the reason to seek. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added on to you, Jesus said. Let me just look at our reading just for two or three minutes and that's me finished. Mark chapter 1. Please, and it's just a couple of words I want to lift out, and that's me finished. Your attention's been tremendous. Thank you. Mark chapter 1, verse 36. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. Followed after him. I'll say it again. Followed after him. The word here for followed is the word katatokio. And it means to pursue, 
to hunt down. See, Christ had got up early that morning and he went out to pray and they didn't know he was away. By the time they had got out and they had got up and got out, where did he go? So they start seeking everywhere for him. They start looking high and low for him until they eventually find him. It means they pursued after him and they hunted him down. This is the exact ceremony in the Hebrew in Psalm 23 and verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That means goodness and mercy will hunt me down from God. Here now, men are hunting down Christ because they need his goodness. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 18, we read of the Lord coming and calling. Verse 18 says, that he calls uh, Simon Peter, or Simon at the time, and Andrew, and says, And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. The word here for follow is different. It's the word akaluthio. It means to go the same way, to walk the same path along with someone else. They walked with him, they talked with him, but this time he was away ahead of them and he was gone. Friend, Christian, brother and sister, the determination, acquaint yourself with the person who has the determination and the desire to hunt after Christ, to seek after the Savior till they find him. Make people like that your company. Make people like that your company because therein you will find the Savior and you'll have fellowship with him. Do not have company with wicked men and women to run with them. By all means, witness to them, but not to run with them. Listen to what the Lord says, Proverbs 8 and 19. I love them that love me. And those that seek me early shall find me. The term early means diligently. Get up and do it. Get up and seek his face. Isaiah 55 and 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14, The Lord promises, Ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, he says. He promised that see if you seek him, he promises you that you'll find him. Hosea, he says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Yes. Amos 5 and 6. Seek the Lord and ye shall live. Well, that the church would have the same passion and drive and determination and desire to seek and search after Christ as they did when they were in the world. I was talking just this week to a man assessing the clothes. And he says... You get very fired up when you're in the pulpit, don't you? I said, well, if you were where I was when I got saved, so would you be. So would you be. The same passion that I would speak of my Savior was even the same sort of passion that I served the devil in the world. But now he has taken that passion He set it in fire and sanctified it. And he'll do it with you if we seek him with all our hearts.
May God bless his word to us tonight. Man's motive. What's our motive? Whatever your motive is, you might have a need. You might have a need, physical, material, spiritual. He says, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. God bless us all. God bless his word to all our hearts.